what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast, episode number 47. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight we've got a very special guest. It's a returning guest actually. Her name is Lani from Greenet Postures and Lani is an expert in all things homesteading. And in today's show, Lani is joining us to talk about a really important subject and that is fermented food. We also get into many other topics as well, but I wanted to make this episode very practical because I truly believe we're going through one of the most difficult parts of history. It's going to be something similar to what we had in the 1930s during the Great Depression. And there's so many reasons why I think that is the case. We're seeing food supply chains being disrupted or completely destroyed. We've got a growing financial disaster that has yet to fully unfold. We already had a global health crisis before the COVID scam. They're spraying poisons in the sky almost daily. And me and Lanny talk about that at the start of the show. Similarly, they're poisoning the food with pesticides and herbicides. And they're also talking now about mysterious disease X. And we have no idea what that's going to be. But what we do know is our health is being attacked from all angles right now. And let's face it, the healthcare system is going to come crashing down anyways. And even if medical care is available, what are the strings that are going to be attached to that? And do you really want to trust yourself to that system? I don't think you do. And I think it's only going to get much worse. So we have to now start taking back control of our health and of our diets because that is where true health comes from. And listen, everyone, for thousands of years, fermented food has been our medicine. It goes back thousands of years over in Central and Eastern Europe and in Asia where we have the healthiest people, not like people in the West. They've got much lower incidences of heart disease, of obesity and all the rest. They are eating fermented foods on an almost daily basis. I eat fermented foods on a daily basis over here in Poland. So these are real superfoods. But guess what? You can make them in your own home for next to nothing. You don't have to spend a fortune no magic bullets, no special potions or medicines, just good healthy food that you can make at home with really important bacteria that's going to protect your gut and give you the strongest immune system to cope with whatever they have to throw at us and also to ensure you don't need to use their medical care system, which I call a death care system now. We're here to take back control of our health and that's precisely why I got Lanny back on the show to help us all do that. In part one, we discuss what fermentation is. Why do we do it? Why is it useful? Lani shares her stories to how it helped her family recover their health. We also get into things like chemtrails being poisoned through our diets and how eating fermented food can help us with all of that. Then in part two, we talk about things like survival. How do we survive hard times? How do we go through a food crisis? How can preserving our food using fermentation help us to do that? We also talk in part two about how fermentation can help our mental health and not just our physical health. 
There's plenty of studies out there that show it's important to have really healthy gut bacteria for our mental health as well. So members, please head over to parallelmike.com to listen to the full episode. If you're not a full member yet, please consider joining us. It helps my content and it helps me continue to bring on fantastic guests like Lani. Also in the members section attached to this video, there's gonna be a quick fermentation recipe that Lani put together for us. I'm gonna be doing it and I'd love for you to do it too and to give me your feedback. One quick final reminder, I do have group coaching for investors coming up at the end of February. We only have a few weeks left before we get started. We're gonna talk about how we protect our wealth. We're gonna talk about property rights, about ensuring our assets are not taken in the great taking. We discuss bank bail-ins. So we really get into the weeds. This one is for anyone and everyone who wants to protect their wealth in the coming crisis. If you're interested, please email parallelmikepodcast at protonmail.com and I'll be able to point you in the right direction as to how you can learn more and to answer any questions that you've got. I'm also available throughout February for one-to-one wealth preservation consultations. More information on parallelmike.com. In closing, I hope you're all well, healthy, and happy. Thank you so much for listening. And like always, I'll see each and every one of you in the next one. Hi everyone, welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast. We are back with the returning guest, Lani, who runs Greener Postures and Preserving Today. You can also find her on the Greener Postures podcast. So today we're going to be talking about the tradition of fermenting foods that has been, I would say it's been pretty much lost in the West. I know people like you are bringing it back, Lani, but where I live in Poland, it's much more prevalent and kind of normalized, but in the West, it's not. And the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with Lani is to share with listeners Really, it's not just a way of feeding ourselves. It's a way of taking care of our health. And we do have a global health crisis going on, brought along mainly by our diets and the toxins in the environment. And I think clearly whoever we have been trusting our health to, has they failed us. <laughs> our governments and big pharma. I think most people listening to this podcast, now everyone listening to it will be dead against taking our health prompts from those people. So we do have to start taking care of ourselves again. And a lot of people don't have understanding of how to do that or they might think it's extremely expensive to do that Uh, and i think they're going to learn tonight that actually it's not and there's some really effective ways using fermentation that they can get started with pretty easily so without further ado thanks for joining us lani just a quick hello and uh how is 2024 treating you so far oh it's been great thank you so much for having me back yeah lots of cool things on the horizon we've got a new website focusing on my youtube channel so i can share what i'm doing with as many people as possible yeah, it's it's been good so far on the homestead as well. What's the weather like where you are now, Lenny? Well, it's weird because we had some of the coldest weather we've ever had just about a month ago where we got down to three degrees Fahrenheit. Usually we we hover, you know, and under freezing would be under 32 Fahrenheit. And like, we'll, we'll just be under freezing if we have snow, but we got down to three degrees. And then just a few weeks later, we got up to 60, which is warmer than normal this time of year. So it's it's been very weird. We have like buds on the cherry tree already, and that shouldn't be happening. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed that things straighten out and the plants know what to do and we still have a good growing season. This is so bizarre because we've actually had mosquitoes in our house the last two or three weeks. And it's like minus, well, it has been around minus 10, minus 15 over winter we've just had a little bit bit of warm weather but my wife said she's never ever seen mosquitoes in poland outside of summer so there are weird things happening with the weather right now yeah yeah and for sure we've seen a few fruit flies which is not this this usually a late summer kind of thing so it seems like the winter we did have hasn't been cold enough to really kill anything off that normally would be kind of you know uh suppressed uh, during this time of year so that we don't so it's also going to be interesting to see what it's like for insects and stuff this summer but you know 
I don't know how how much we want to dive into it for in the first hour, but there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the sky too. So you just have to wonder, you know, like what's the, what's the plan here? <laughs> yeah, well, every day we are being sprayed like bugs. I mean, the skies are just being completely clouded out. You wake up, you open the curtains, you'd know that it was going to be a blue sky day. You can see the blue sky, but then you see the big trails, like the thickest chemtrails going across. And within two hours, it's just all gone. And you know, I've noticed this year, it's actually really affected my mood. Like not, I don't know if it's just because I'm so angry seeing it every day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or it's just that lack of sun. Yeah, I think there's a war going on and uh, this global hybrid war and the weather's a key front of it. And it's picked up so much since 2020 for us. Yeah, yeah. Same, same here too. It's it's the day after day of the milky skies. And I'm in the Northwest Washington. So it's, it's, it's normally cloudy and rainy. So it's sometimes it's hard to see what's going on up there. And it is disappointing on those days where you're like, ah, oh, it's going to be sunny. I can get all this stuff done. And then you see a bunch of lines and then next thing you know, it's that milky sky and it's just, it doesn't feel the same as really feeling the sun on you. And it's, it's, it is weird too, to just talk to normal people around here and just like, oh, it's so nice to have a sunny day. Like they don't see that that's, you know, they can't see it. They don't see that it's changed. Very interesting to be almost living in a different universe than people around you. Yeah, that's it. That's that's the bit that worries me the most is just how detached people have become from nature and actual natural cycles. And they've normalized the chemtrails already. We had a friend send us photos of all of these funny lines in the sky. And he said, look at that. Look at that interesting pattern the clouds have made. That's not it. Was, a, that's it was literally just... chemtrails crisscrossing. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, so it was disappointing. But we did send her across that documentary, which if listeners haven't seeing it, it's well worth watching. It's called What on Earth Are They Spraying Us With? It was from about five or six years ago. And believe it or not, it's actually on YouTube as well. Okay. And if you've read The Creature from Jekyll Island, that was written by G. Edward Griffin, he's actually in that and he, re- he really helped push that project forward. So that's what one that I would recommend listeners watch it or even send to somebody if you want to give them an alternative take because there's actually a ton of history on them discussing the use of uh, chemical spraying in the skies. It's not, it it's not a conspiracy theory. It's there. No, it's very out in the open. You can read about it on official government websites here in the United States. And there's another good documentary called Franken Skies, which I think is pretty brilliant the way it brings you in because it's all from previous news clips discussing this. So it's actually like the official sources describing what's happening kind of goes into it. So um, weather control. Yeah, it's it's a it's a super interesting topic if people haven't looked into it yet, but I'm sure most of your listeners have at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's worrying for us as homesteaders because in those documentaries, they actually are testing the soil and showing that the parts of aluminium in the soil have gone up tens of thousands of percent and of course, we're ingesting that. So anyway, that's a whole other subject. I know, but maybe we'll yes. come back to it. I mean, we'll talk sure. about that for the whole hour. I'm not an expert, but it's fascinating to me. Yes. Yeah. And we need to be we need to have our eye on the ball. I mean, it is involved in the topic we're going to discuss today, which is our health. So I guess linking it through, that is another reason we have to be, just be so careful. We're being poisoned at all angles, Lanny. They're coming yes. after us. Right. Uh, and fermentation is a really important tool, I think, because it's one of the ones that you don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars each month buying really expensive organic food you can actually do fermented foods with essentially nothing in fact in poland you know that's why people did it is because they didn't have much money but let's start with the very basics lani just from your perspective can you tell us what fermentation is and how it's used Sure. Fermentation is a microbial process, a basic um, conversion of carbohydrates to uh, lactic acid. So for people who don't know, that's like sauerkraut, um, cheese is fermented. Um, There is many other things like sourdough is fermented, 
kefir or kefir, um, depending on how you pronounce it, kimchi. Um, so there's lots of different types of fermentation. Of course, most people are familiar with beer and wine, and that's all fermented stuff as well. So it's basically like taking an organic product, could be a vegetable, could be milk, could be grain, and then providing it the uh, appropriate environment to complete this process where the living microbes on the food will break down the food and convert it into something else, transmute it. And so that, that outcome is usually creating an acidic environment, which inherently in and of itself preserves the food. And what got you into fermenting specifically, Lani? Was there a culture of it within your family? Or is this something that you picked up yourself and just taught yourself how to do? Yeah, there was not. I very much had a mother that was uh, very American. She was first generation Italian-American, but she was all American as far as diet culture went. So she wasn't into this. Um, I dug in when I found out my first son was born in 2013. And when he was 18 months old, he had an anaphylactic response to his first exposure to peanuts. And I was so surprised that I had a kid with allergies. And when I asked the allergist why this happens, they didn't only not know, but they weren't even interested. They're like, well, you just avoid the top eight allergens and you have an EpiPen and you have Benadryl and that's what it is. And it really bothered me that they weren't even curious why this was happening and why this was becoming so much more prevalent than it had been. So upon really doing my first internet dig on anything, because I was kind of slow to the technology game, I started to read all these papers and studies done. And I found a study in Australia that was being done on um, children with allergies, specifically peanut allergies. And they were being, um, it was basically a form of exposure therapy where they would wear a patch that had a peanut protein on it and to see if they can in increase their exposure to the peanut, um, so desensitizing to them, them to it. And what I found was that they did a study where they, they gave kids the patch on its own, and they gave other kids a probiotic supplement along with the patch. And those kids had tremendous results. They were not, they were um, maybe not curing them to the fact where they could have a peanut butter sandwich, but they were to the, desensitizing them to the fact that they would not no longer have anaphylaxis from a, from eating a peanut. And that was huge to me because the idea of just being exposed to a, a molecule of something and having my kid potentially die from that was a serious business. So that event in my life did two things. It brought me back into the kitchen because we no longer could buy packaged food, go to a restaurant, go to the deli. It got me to read labels in a different way than I had. Again, being raised in diet culture, I was reading the nutritional facts, calories, fat, saturated fat, um, carbohydrate. I wasn't reading the actual important part, which is the ingredients, what was in the food. And I started to realize all these different things that were in there that weren't for the food. It was just to preserve the food or enhance flavor, texture, color. And then it also led me to this understanding of that we have a microbiome and that this is super important. And these kids having this um, better response when they were supporting their microbiome led me to the health food store to look at probiotic supplements. And when I got there, I found that they were very, very expensive. And when I read more about them, I found that a lot of the probiotics, they're a living thing. It's the, the microbes that are naturally occurring on the fermented foods were not necessarily still living when by time they got in the bottle into your house for you to take a supplement. So then I started to learn where probiotics come from and I found that they were in fermented food. And that's when I said, well, I can get a, you know, a 25 cent head of cabbage and make myself sauerkraut, but I can't afford to get those probiotics. So that led me to my first batch of sauerkraut, fermented carrots and fermented cauliflower. That was the first stuff I did. 
One thing that I wanted to ask is just going back a second, what we're talking about here is food that's essentially got a lot of bacteria added to it, but it's bacteria that's not going to harm, it's going to be healthy for us, it's going to yes. be good for our mm -hmm. diet. It's interesting too, because people do have a really negative connotation when you hear bacteria, it's supposed to be bad. Antibacterial soap is good. You know, antibiotics are something that has been way overprescribed for years. And what we don't know is that so much of our body is made up of bacteria naturally. And so much of the natural earth is made up of different bacteria. And there's kind of always this like invisible war between good bacteria and bad bacteria going on. When you have a good colony of good bacteria, they protect you from the bad bacteria that you wouldn't want, like botulism, staph, strep, any, any of those things, E. coli, the, the things that cause foodborne illness, listeria, those things can't grow. It's called, uh, the scientists call it competitive exclusion. So when there is a colony of thriving bacteria that are beneficial to us, that do live um, symbiotically with us, those things will then protect us from the uh, bad bacteria that can make us sick, like like E. coli, botulism, all of those. And when you said about the probiotics, I remember it about maybe 10, 15 years ago, where all of a sudden there was all of these people drinking these little shots of probiotics. Usually it was like a yogurt or a milk. And I remember mm -hmm. at the time I was an athlete and I was thinking, I just don't see how that can be doing what they're promising because it's sat on that shelf for so long or it's sat in a supermarket under these refrigerated lights. And I just thought, by the time you've got that home, is it really going to still have the potency that they're telling you? I mean, you could say the same with, with vitamin su supplements. Yes, they might do something, but if you can get it in its natural state, it's far, far more powerful. I mean, this bacteria is related to our gut, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And as the far as what I know and what they say is that our gut lining is really made up out of a lot of bacteria. And this is basically our immune system. These are the little guardians that are, you know, people might not know, but a stomach itself is somewhat permeable. And I know this firsthand from making sausage, you know, that the the moisture from the sausage on the, the intestine of the hog intestine you're using can kind of seep out over time. And that's the same thing with our intestine, our stomach lining. So these bacteria kind of keep our um, environment in balance and the correct acidity so that these negative things don't kind of leach out into our system. And what they say is with a food allergy, if you don't have that protection in your stomach, there's certain things that come in and the proteins are very, very, very small. And so they're able to leak through into your bloodstream and then your body has a big reaction to them and attacks it with anaphylaxis, which is, you know, swelling, vomiting, hives, all the things your body does to rid you of a toxin or a poison that might be harming you. And so enhancing that that gut lining and, and, and your microbiome that is protecting you from that. And just like you said with vitamins, right? Those things are in found in nature or in balance with a lot of other things and probably a lot of other things we don't even have names for and we haven't even studied. And those things are then allowing your body to absorb them, right? Same, similarly, um, when you get probiotics, they have to be, well, at least in the United States, they have to be a certain strain that's like grown and manufactured and tested and then given to you. Whereas when you make ferment food at home using wild fermentation, you're getting a whole array of, of bacteria that's naturally in your environment. And I feel like that just without even, I don't need a microscope to know that's going to be better for me in that natural state than it can be getting a freeze dried single strain um, supplement from the grocery store. And as far as like stability, 
these things need to be kept cold or they continue to develop. So I'd say if you do have to buy a probiotic, get something in the refrigerated section, but instead of a capsule, yeah, go buy yourself some yogurt or go buy yourself some naturally fermented kefir or some naturally fermented kombucha, things that haven't been pasteurized because that would mean they'd be heated to the point of killing all bacteria. And, and that's, a, that's a way to kind of get around it if you don't want to make it at home, but you're going to save yourself a ton of money and learn so much about food safety. If you're doing these things at home, it's really beneficial. Yeah. So what we're really trying to do then is to get into our system, this important bacteria. And some of that bacteria is extremely hard to get, isn't it? It's not like you can just go out and get it in your everyday diet. You have to specifically eat something that's fermented to give you it. I was reading a book a while back and it told me something that it just blew me away when I heard it. And that's that if you have a natural birth, when you come out within the fluids that you come out with, there's a load of bacteria that's just within those fluids. And if you don't get it at that point in your life, you're going to be immunocompromised for the rest of your life because you can never replace those bacteria. So nature actually showers us with this first huge shot of positive, healthy bacteria to line our guts. Yes. And if they compare the two children's health outcomes after, say, 20 years, 30 years, the child that had a cesarean was born through cesarean and not through the natural birth. It's got a compromised immune system. It's much more likely to get flus and colds and, well, all kinds of immunosuppressed illnesses. So when I when I heard about that, I thought, right, okay, so nature is really trying to set us up to be super men and super women, like really powerful immune systems. And they've now taken taken us out of that cycle. Doctors will say, oh, it's, it's equal. It's fine. You know, it makes no difference whether you have a natural birth or a cesarean birth. It makes no difference if you give them Nestle powdered milk or if you give them breast milk. And yet everything that we find out is it's all a lie. They've been lying to us. And I guess what I'm getting to is with these fermented foods, it's giving us like a second chance, maybe not getting the same bacteria, but adding a ton of really healthy bacteria to build that immune system back up, isn't it? So yeah, so when we were when we lived natural lives closer to the earth, we were surrounded by this constantly and it was a part of us. And the absolutely the beginning of that becomes being born to a healthy mother um, without antibiotic use, um, antibacterial use, all the things that we would be using to wipe our microbiome completely because antibiotics don't distinguish between bad bacteria and good bacteria. They try to wipe out all bacteria. And like we talked about competitive exclusion before, once you wipe all of it out, then it can leave that a blank canvas for the bad bacteria to start to grow and be um, in an imbalance. So when you're born via cesarean, which I was born cesarean, and I had all sorts of, you know, seasonal allergies, chronic ear infections when I was little and was on antibiotics all the time. And I was super sick. So what I didn't know I was going to do when I was um, digging into my son's issue was also heal myself of all of these things that I had dealt with for a lifetime. And my son also was, I was, I had a hospital birth for my first son and I was told he needed to have antibiotics through me intravenously before I was born. So without understanding this either, I wiped my microbiome out completely for him to then pass through and not be able to receive all of that goodness you're describing through the birth canal. And so starting him off on the wrong foot there. And I think that that is the reason why he has food allergies is because he just had his whole microbiome wiped out. And then he's, you know, there's all the other things are in our environment. You know, what kind of cleaners are you using? What kind of soap are you using? What are they spraying in the sky? What's in our food or not in our food? Um, thinking about the food that's sprayed with a glyphosate and other things. None of these things are 
letting these bacteria have the balance that they're supposed to. So if we want to try to circumvent that system that is trying to, you know, keep us down and suppress and hurt us, we can take control by cultivating these things and ingesting them intentionally. So while at one point people didn't need to do anything, you would play in the dirt and work with your hands and be outside. We didn't constantly wash our hands. We weren't worried about sanitation and sterilization like we are now. All of the things that we think are keeping a really clean environment are actually not helping us stay healthy. So what I found to do was to kind of like take my own little jars and start to cultivate these bacteria and just working them into my diet. You don't need to eat a lot. We're talking about a tablespoon of sauerkraut having more living beneficial bacteria in it and then, than the capsule that they sell at the store. So you could be eating a tablespoon of sauerkraut with every meal or having yogurt and, and, and some kind of fermented vegetable. And it doesn't have to be kraut. It can be whatever you like. There's, there's a fermented food for every taste. I think it's a truism that food is the medicine as well. It's not just there to sustain us and give us calories. It's also our medicine. And in today's society, we've got an overabundance of calories in our diet and we're in a famine when it comes to nutrients and uh, good bacteria. So we're in this kind of feast of calories, famine of, of the good stuff. And completely yeah, lost you know, you're, you're, you're so right, though, that like we we're like overfed and undernourished for the first time ever in history. Right. We've taken the nutrients, the beneficial aspects of our food out and left just the calories and all these other chemicals and poisons that gum up our system and make it hard to operate. So, yeah, it's, it is. It's strange. It's a strange time to be here and say we have to intentionally try to <laughs> ingest these bacteria bacteria because forever these were just the way we preserved our food so the food that was preserved in this way were nourishing our microbiome and our body with um the vitamins and minerals that we needed as well well it's crazy when you think about it for millions of years there was no pharmaceuticals like so the, it must have existed here on earth everything we needed was put here already for us to keep ourselves healthy and we might have died younger but usually it was because life was much tougher however if you take the food that we used to eat and the natural ways of living and apply that to a modern lifestyle, we could probably live to in our hundreds for sure. And I know for a fact that all of the elites eat completely organic and they've all got homeopaths. I mean, there's a royal homeopath. Uh, they've had one for hundreds of years. Prince Charles will only eat pure organic food. Uh, so they know and, and they're using all the natural methods, but we got the Rockefeller medicine. And people today, we are now obsessed with cleanliness and it's kind of been weaponized against us and never more so than the last few years. I mean, putting those hand sanitizers everywhere and seeing people turn into literal zombies where it's like, I, I would watch people like it was automatic. They'd walk in and do it. And if they missed it, they'd remind themselves like a trigger in their mind and they'd take a step back and do it. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I knew people who were literally buying bleach and watering it down and doing it at home as well, just spraying their hands with not pure bleach, but close to it. Yeah, uh, diluted bleach or hydrogen peroxide or yeah, yeah, alcohol. It was it was out of hand. And I was it was really <laughs> knowing what I know, it was really hard to watch. And I said, this isn't gonna make people healthy. This is making people more sick. And you you've heard of things like MRSA, which is a type of staph infection that's resistant to antibiotics. Those things aren't out in our communities. Those things occur in hospitals because of the sanitation policies that we are in hospitals. And you're right, if we combined that we have running water and we have a place to put um human waste and we 
you, but if we ate like we used to eat and we weren't spraying ourselves with aluminum, then maybe we can live to hundreds of years because it is, um, it's, it's very bizarre the way it's not because it feels intentional that they've, they've confused us to think that our body's self-cleaning self-protection mechanisms are signs of an illness that needs to be fixed with a medicine. When a lot of times the medicine is what's causing those problems in the first place. Yeah, it is. And do you think that this is a part of the overarching agenda just to make us sick and feels to me like we're going through a period of history now where there's so much benefit that they see in getting rid of a lot of us in terms of we're going to have technology we're not going to need you in terms of benefits and pensions and healthcare that we just can't afford we've lied to you that you're going to receive it so so they're trying to get rid of us and it feels like they're doing it through subversive means in that they're convincing us that the mechanisms that they're going to use to get rid of us are actually for our health and going to make us live longer. It's like the ultimate satanic inversion. It's like, this is going to make you healthier and now you're dead or you've got a oh, disability. Oh, so absolutely. But if it's not to kill us, it's to keep us on the hamster wheel of like just trying to feel better and continuing to pay into their system and to think that we are powerless without their expertise. And because they say they have, you know, you have to have a medical degree to be able to prescribe medication, it's got this aspect to it that we can't, take health and we can't understand our own health and we can't make ourselves better without looking to some outside source. So it keeps us dependent on this system. And now after hundreds of years of this, it's so inherently ingrained in us that we have to, you know, you go to the doctor for a regular checkup and it's all the time, more and more these pre-conditions, pre-diabetes, borderline thyroid issues, all these things of, they used to say this number was our goal. And now they're moving the, the bar a little bit here and saying this area also needs treatment because they're close to having the problem. And it's kind of, it just, they move the numbers. I remember around COVID time, they, they changed um, the temperature that they say what a fever is. So a fever was supposed to be, you know, over 90, basically 99 degrees or higher. They said, you know, most people are running lower now and that's not really accurate. It was, you know, 98. And it's like body temperature has always been 98 degrees. They're trying to change these bars a little bit to give more and more people treatment. And the thing is, is if you take their advice, even if it's just dietary advice, the advice, like for instance, for gestational diabetes is a total scam, which is when they tell you you're diabetic only during pregnancy, which is stupid because it's somebody who's probably never been tested their blood sugar before they're tested during pregnancy. And if they have it, then they're told they have it during that time. So I, I think it's really um, an interesting thing. And then if you take that kind of uh, way of looking at things, you're getting people who are healthy and don't actually have the problem and you're getting them hooked on the pharmaceuticals that are going to give them the problems later on. And it's just this, yeah, never ending cycle. So either it's the benefit of killing us off or it's the benefit of keeping us dependent and not, I mean, sick people don't revolt. Sick people are are good slaves. Yeah. Make a whole generation weaker. Uh, get rid of the old ones who you don't want to take care of anymore. Yeah, there's there's many ways of looking at it, but ultimately they are destroying our health. And they're trying to, I wouldn't say criminalize, but certainly trying to make people who take control of their own health appear to be conspiracy theorists. Like you, oh, yeah. there must be something wrong with you for wanting to not trust the science that you're watching destroy the health of people. And it's no other exaggeration to say that we are the sickest we've ever been. Autism rates, rates of obesity, rates of cancers, rates of neurological instances, it's everywhere, like across the Western world. So it's the diet, it's the diet and the environment that's doing it to us. If you go to Japan, it's completely different. Where I live in Poland, it's very, very rare to see a child with an excess of body fat, whereas in the UK, it's the norm now. So there's definitely a dietary part of it. 
And I guess one thing I can say about where we live is culturally fermented foods are extremely ingrained. It's not like a buzzword thing. It's like, no, that's how we eat all the time. It's just a part of our day-to-day -day diet. Everyone eats it and they don't even quite understand why they eat it anymore. It's just there. It's part of the culture. So what cultures have you looked at across the world, Lani? Do you know any cultures that are still practicing it more readily, like in Poland? Is it something that's kind of just Eastern and Central Europe or is it still happening in Asia or other continents? It is definitely happening in Asia because you think of things like in Korea, kimchi is a staple that's served with every meal and that's still a fermented food. What is kimchi, um, Lani? I've never had it myself. Oh, oh, you haven't? Okay, so good. Okay, kimchi is a Korean condiment that's made from, uh, we call it Napa cabbage. Other places call it Chinese cabbage. It's the, the elongated cabbage that's got the really wide white ribs and that's cut in kind of big chunks. And then usually green onions, ginger, garlic, and this a special Korean chili that's pronounced, I think it's gochugaru. That's a chili powder. And you add salt um, and from you massage this in and pack it into a jar so it's under the brine. And we can talk more about how to set up a ferment. Um, and it ferments for a little while. And that is a condiment that's served with almost anything. So they can, you can then puree that and make it like a sriracha type hot sauce, or you can eat it just like in the morning with eggs, or they eat it with their soup or, pour, you know, rice, porridge, rice dishes. Um, it's something that I make and keep on hand. And it's, it's a favorite in our house even, and you can control the spice level when you make it at home. So if your family doesn't tolerate spicy food enough, you can just do a little less of the chili powder, but yeah, they're making that. And then in Vietnam, uh, fish sauce is one of their staple condiments and it's in uh, many, many, many recipes. Um, same with, uh, Thailand, Thai cooking has fish sauce and that's made by packing fish into barrels with salt and letting it ferment for a very, very long time. So there are certain types of fermentation that's still used in Asia that isn't really widely used other places like for proteins, which is kind of more risky, you would say you need to do a little more precise. Um, the fermented vegetables in other places, I'm not sure, like in Germany, are they still making sauerkraut the old fashioned way? Because um, you can also make sauerkraut with vinegar and you can can it and have it shelf stable like in the canning section of the grocery store. And it's mushy and gross and not very good, but real fermented sauerkraut is excellent. So I think there's probably pockets everywhere, but in, in, as far as I know, the culture of fermentation is, is really strong still in Asia. Yeah, it was interesting when I first came to Poland and I saw what the culture was like here. And we used to go to the market and there was an old lady there called Pani Zosia and she was probably about 90. And she worked in the market, even in the dead of winter, she'd be in this kind of empty shipping container and behind her, there was these big plastic industrial barrels that were just filled with sauerkraut that she made herself. And we used to joke, although it's not necessarily a joke, it could have been true because the old fashioned way is to basically climb up onto the barrel, get in there with your feet, your, your bare feet, and you scrush it down with your feet. And I could believe that that's how she was doing it because when we used to ask for bags of it, she'd just put her hands in bare, throw oh, it yeah. in the bag, and that was it. So there was no health and safety around that. And we never got ill from it. I've never actually been ill since I got to Poland. One thing that I did notice is health and safety here is practically non-existent, particularly in kind of local communities. Like if you buy a raw milk, it'll just come in reused plastic bottles. So the health and safety culture doesn't exist, but fermentation and natural foods do exist. And I've never, ever been ill here in Poland yet. In the UK, I used to get ill every single year. So I'd have like a two, three day period where I just get really, really ill. Uh, and that'd be like my one illness of a year, but that's just gone. So it's really amazing to see how you take away all of this sanitization and the rules of making food in the UK make it kind of impossible to be a homegrown producer. Like it's very hard to sell produce in the UK to get the certification here. It doesn't exist, particularly not in the 
rural places. And me and my wife have never been fitter. So it's an interesting paradox. As, oh my gosh, that visual of that old lady climbing on barrels and stomping is just the best thing I've ever imagined. I'm, I love that so much. And yeah, I do. I wash my hands, but I use my bare hands when I'm packing my, my kraut. I don't use gloves unless I'm doing something really spicy um, when I don't want to touch my face afterwards. But it, it's, it's this idea of like, if you're cultivating these things that are going to preserve your food, you're going to know if your food is healthy. And if it's healthy, then it's safe to eat. And it's the same thing that's going to nourish your microbiome in your body. It's, it's fascinating. And there's, like I said, there's some fermented food for everyone. So like in Italy, this tradition is still strong with winemaking and everyone can see the visual of, of them stomping the grapes with their bare feet as well. Right. Wine cheese that's is made with fermentation as well. And yogurt is made with fermentation. So there's still certain foods that we eat salami, prosciutto, all those things that happen with a, by a bacterial process. And there are, you know, vegetables are maybe different than dairy, different than meat, but it's all there. Same with sourdoughs really had a resurgence in the United States since 2020, because people have had more time and they were worried they couldn't find yeast in the grocery store. Um, all of those are different ways of fermenting things. And there's benefits, many benefits besides just the, the microbiome, um, besides just the bacteria that you're cultivating, uh, that fermentation brings, um, like for instance, with grain fermentation, you're breaking down the grain. So it's more digestible. Um, you are reducing the gluten by fermentation and, um, also making the nutrients in the grain more bioavailable. Whereas there's kind of like, if you picture seeds have this protective coating on it, to be able to withstand, you know, different elements to germinate at the proper time. And when you're eating wheat, you're eating the, uh, the wheat berry, which is the seed of the plant. So by soaking that, sprouting that, or fermenting that you're making those things then open up and be available to you when you're eating it. So yeah, there's, there's different places in the world doing it, but there's also a lot of perversion in the food system that has changed because of the regulation, like you were describing in the UK, it's the same here in the United States, where they're saying for the sake of our health and safety, they USDA here comes into different organizations and tells them they have to do things a certain way. And one of the things is, is that if you're fermenting foods, they are not letting you do a wild fermentation. Many times they want you to add a specific strain so that you have to grow a bacteria in a controlled environment that is then tested and said it's one strain. And then you're using that to start your fermented food. And that to me kind of is circumventing nature, which is already doing it. And like I said, if you're going to make sauerkraut in your location, then the beneficial bacteria in your environment that are there that you, you should be in um, tune with those things are going to grow and proliferate in your jar. Whereas if you're doing this in a controlled sanitary environment and you're using only one bacterial strain, that kind of changes the whole thing. Yeah. It feels like everything that they do is to destroy food sovereignty. So every time we go back to using traditional techniques, they always have to capitalize upon it and say, well, how can we turn this back into something we can control and monetize so now you've got to buy some certain strain from us and it has to be approved. It has mm -hmm. to be in a laboratory uh, and that just destroys all the health benefits. And, you know, I don't see them ever talking about things like fermentation. I was saying recently as, as well that, you know, when do they ever talk about people having a food garden or growing their own food? Why, why do we not have schools filled with fruit trees for the children to eat free, healthy food to teach them about nature? And that's the big red flag for listeners or for anyone out there is that they don't talk about the things that you can do that's independent, that gives you sovereignty. They only talk about the things that destroy your sovereignty and make you dependent on a system. And I fear that we're on the cusp of going towards a system where there's going to be so few people with access to land 
and access to real natural foods, that is going to be very difficult to remain healthy in this coming future if you don't do something about it now. I mean, I think there's never been a more important time to try and get some land access some way, somehow. Absolutely. But even if you don't have that and you're in an apartment stacked on top of other people uh, in the city, you can get a mason jar and you can ferment your vegetables and grow these probiotics in your own house, in your own apartment. You can sprout seeds and grow um, sprouts on your counter as well. I have a video on preserving today on the YouTube channel um, of how I grow my sprouts in mason jars. You don't even need sunlight for that. You can you can add sunlight at the end of sprouts to get the green ends, but you can grow bean sprouts and things actually are grown without sunlight. So there's things you anyone can do at any time. But yes, as a whole, it's just sad to see us moving in that direction where we're giving up more and more and more of our control and freedom. And, and we think that that's letting go of responsibility and that we should be relaxed or something, but instead it's just destroying all the control that we have over our lives. And so if you have, yeah, if you have access to land, excellent. If you don't, then start some, some basil growing in the window, some sprouts on the counter and start fermenting uh, the cabbage that you bought at the grocery store. And that bacteria is there even on low quality produce that uh, comes from, you know, a farm that sprays all of that. It's not ideal, but if that's all you have access to, you can still grow healthy probiotics and make good sauerkraut with that. Wow. So what you're saying is you can just go to the local farmer's market, try and find somewhere that's going to give you the best quality, but then take that home. You don't need to have the land. You can just start doing it now, even if you're in the city, in an apartment. And yeah, I, I think that's really empowering to hear because a lot of people say to me, like, I'm never going to have land, Mike. I can't do it, which I dispute all the time. I say, listen, there's always a way. There's always a way to do it. However, even if you're stuck in a situation where you can't do it for now, I think it's good still to learn those skills. But it's not just about skills, is it? It's about your health. You know, like I said, we're, I think we're going into a future, Lanny, where we are going to have no access to actual healthcare unless we abide by some very, very strict rules there's going to be really big, heavy strings attached to it. But then also for me, I've said to my wife, like, listen, if I get seriously ill, <laughs> put me in a bed and read me some stories because I ain't going to no hospitals. Like it's, it's literally my decision now that I'm not going to put myself in hospital unless it was something like where I, I knew I had to, you know, if I know I have to be there, that's different. But if it's a case of I have to go there and take some injections and some vaccines or God knows what they want to put in us, it's like, no, no way. I'll, I'll no. treat everything mm -hmm. naturally and I'll, and I'll accept upon myself the responsibility and the consequences. And I think we was actually talking today about something that was pretty dark because I saw a video about organs and a doctor did an expose where he said in the hospital, what we've, what we actually do is when somebody comes in, if they've been in a car accident or if they've had a gunshot wound or now if they've overdosed, we will take their organs whilst they're still alive. And he said, the whole concept of being brain dead is actually something we made up. We don't test to see if there's any brainwave activity. And we used to a long time ago, and you'd find that there was brainwave activity, meaning the person could still be thinking and conscious in some sense. But, she, but he said, we don't do that anymore because we have a really strong pharmaceutical uh, lobby behind us pushing us to harvest the organs. And he said, so that's what we do on mass. And we will even have people who are employed to soothe, say to the family, like, oh, how terrible this has happened. But they would have wanted to do something good for humanity and then to get them to sign away the right so that they can harvest the organs of a child or a young person or a husband or wife who's been in an accident. And he basically said the whole thing's a racket. And I just thought, wow, this the industry, the medical industry is so corrupted and rotten. And I would say satanic at its heart that in the future, 
you're not going to want to go there. <laughs> you're not going to want to be no. a part of it. So I just wanted to emphasize to listeners the point I'm trying to make about how the, the medical system is a death system now. And in the future, you don't want to be there if you can help it. And I will fight tooth and nail to not have to use it ever if I can. But it does really put that responsibility back onto us to really, really get our health in order. And and that's not easy, especially if we've spent a lifetime living off the standard American or Western diet. It's so interesting to me because the psychological operation that has putting people through medical school to make them do things that are physically harming other people and they think that they're helping is just so, it's so intense because I think anyone who first gets started sees these things and this is bad, this is bad, but I have to, you know, if I want to make change, I have to stick this out so I can get my license. And by the time they're through it, it's just gone. And that thing you said about the organs hits home because I had a cousin who had a devastating car accident when he was just, I think he was just 16. That's what they did. They told the parents that he's brain dead. There's no bringing him back. And they took his organs while he was still living and then um, unplugged the machine. And my uncle still gets, um, you know, a letter every few years from an old man that has his heart and somebody else that has a liver. And he, you know, feels like that was something he could do to, to help at that time. But I say, how do we know that they're not going to live? And then how do we know how that affects the things that we don't understand, like our spirit, our soul, just even to die in a hospital setting is, is sad to me. This feels like a, a just this like trap for, for souls or something. And when you look at things that we look towards that actually don't even need medical intervention that we go as preventative care, like childbirth, that is in and of itself, just a physiological process. That's birth is just the end of pregnancy. It's, it's inevitable. It's like a lot like going to the bathroom. It just it doesn't happen as frequently. Then to put that into a hospital setting where they're watching you, timing you, making sure you hit all these markers or they're giving you all this intervention. That's why we have bad outcomes. That's why the United States has uh, like a higher maternal death rate than a lot of even like third world countries, which is really scary to look at those numbers and realize that. And we're doing things like, uh, cut major abdominal surgery through seven layers of skin and flesh and to, to remove a baby instead of letting them be born in that natural way. Um, it's, it's really shocking. And, um, that is right. The hospital isn't always the place to get better. If I got hit by a car and I was bleeding out, I might think that that's the place to go. But as we've just discussed, maybe just trying to ride it out is a better idea. It's so it's hard to say. And it's something that every individual has to make for themselves. But for the things that people are going to the doctor for, like just a checkup, let's check the blood pressure. Let's check the blood glucose. Let's make sure, you know, you have, your temperature is good. Those things, you can even buy the machines if you want to do all of that at home, over the counter, blood glucose strips, uh, the cuff, the oxygen, the O2 um, thing that goes on your finger to check your oxygen level. And before any of that, you know, you can monitor your own health at home and do these things that might make you better, you know, get enough protein and do a lot of research and understand if you should be eating animal protein and fat, which is, I believe you do because of those fat soluble vitamins. But if you want to even take it back further, think of just cook for yourself. Even if you're doing some, you know, pre-processed stuff, even if you just take back every step we take back into our own control, we have more control over making our health better and our situation better. So I really would just encourage people to try to like do something that you haven't done before in the kitchen, um, because I think that's such a great place to start. And if it's food isn't your thing, it can be herbalism. And you can talk about herbal medicine and teas and other things like that as well. So for listeners who are going to leave at the end of part one, 
Lanny, what would you say is the easiest way to get started into making something that's fermented? Is there a quick recipe? Maybe you could explain and then point them in the direction of some of your content as well, because I know you've got a lot of videos that are coming out now on the channel. Sure. So for um, for fermentation, if you want to start with a fermented vegetable, if you like sour food or vinegar, if you like sauerkraut, if you like, you know, really sour dill pickles, you could probably start with a fermented vegetable. And it's so simple. It's as simple as just needing salt and um, a vegetable and some water. And there's very you need few a, things. a special type of salt. Uh, you just any... would want to pick a salt that hopefully doesn't have iodine added to it. So any kind of natural salt, sea salt or Himalayan pink salt, whatever you have. So yes, um, iodine. And I think if you used iodized salt, it would still probably work out just fine, but that does uh, inhibit bacteria somewhat. So yeah, I use um, sea salt or pink Himalayan salt. Um, Redmond sea salt here in America is a good brand. Um, but you just salt your vegetable and there's two ways to do it. There's the shredded method or the brine method. If you're shredding a vegetable like cabbage, it has enough water in it that if you put salt on it and massage it with your hands, it will break the cell structure and release liquid on its own. And then you pack that sauerkraut into a jar down really hard until the liquid comes above the vegetable and put some type of a weight on it. That can be a weight that you purchase online. I recommend ball, a lid in spring sets, which I have in all my videos. Um, but you can also just go outside and get a rock that you rinse off. Just anything to keep it submerged under the brine. And then you put a lid on it that's breathable so that it doesn't build up because it's one of the side effects is CO2. So it's going to kind of be carbonated for a bit. And you want to make sure the gases can escape and don't build up in the jar. And um, you can use a ceramic jar or glass jar, just avoid anything metal. And then that sits for a while. Um, in a few days, you're going to start to see bubbles. A few days after that, you'll start to see the liquid starts to get cloudy. And that's the lacto lactobacillus. That's the lactic acid. And it'll start to smell sour, taste it. And once it tastes good to you, it's done. There's no specific recipe that you have to follow. Say for sauerkraut, I usually prefer around 20 days. Um, pickles are just five days. So if you're doing cucumber pickles, so it can really vary. And, and there's going to be a lot of people online that have strong opinions about the percentage of salt to the vegetables that you need to do and all of that. There's not, there's, there's a way to do it where it's just easy and it's to your taste. And that's the kind of method that I share and I teach in my workshops and on my YouTube channel. So if you like, uh, are a visual learner and you like to hear people talk about it, you can go to my YouTube channel uh, preserving today. Let's see. Recently I've done a sauerkraut video. I haven't done pickles yet. I've done kimchi, but if vegetables doesn't seem right to you, try making yogurt. Cause it's actually pretty simple. And I have a, an easy yogurt tutorial on my YouTube channel as well. So if you really like yogurt, you can make that. Um, you can look into other ferments that kind of perpetuate themselves and you keep the culture kind of like a pet. And those can be uh, good for certain personality types who don't mind that maintenance. That would be kombucha or kefir um, or a ginger bug. So yeah, there's there's something for anybody. And if you don't like sour foods and you're, uh, you have a sweet tooth, try fermenting some applesauce. It only takes about 24 hours and it's literally just blending apples into a puree and leaving them on your counter for a day until it gets bubbly and that's it wow so 24 hours you could have your first uh, homemade fermented food with applesauce yes and for listeners that want to learn more about this one you've got a fantastic podcast that actually goes into this much more deeply you've also got your website so can you just tell us where's best to begin if people want to start to explore 
fermentation and taking care of themselves in terms of food preservation. Sure. If you're going to look one place, check out uh, Preserving Today on YouTube because that's my channel and there are tons of tutorial videos. I also have videos where it's kind of like a podcast hybrid. So there's visuals and I talk about why I do things the way I do and kind of go up against these these hard rules that there are in food preservation sometimes and how that's not actually the case and how there's this wider range of acceptable, you know, care. Um, so preserving today on YouTube, you can follow me on Instagram at preserving today as well. And then for my workshops and my more freedom oriented stuff, greenerpostures.com slash workshops. The podcast is called greener postures last year and uh, 2022, I was talking about specific aspects of prepping, homesteading, food preservation. So you could look through my old episodes and find the ones on fermentation if you wanted to learn more or whatever you were into. This year, I'm focusing on having guests and talking about how they're taking radical responsibility in an aspect of their life, which and which is bringing them freedom. So that's kind of what I'm talking about this year as well. And I think fermentation does that. You take radical responsibility for what you put in your body and how you prepare your food, and you find more freedom within that. Um, so yeah, I think that if you want a free tutorial, tutorials, go to my, subscribe to me on YouTube and watch some of those videos. And I answer every single comment. So if you have a question, just ask there and I will, I'll, I'll get back to you right away. That's awesome. And listeners, Lani puts together her workshops for a really, really fair price. So please go support her content and her work because like me, you know, we put a lot, a lot of time into our work, into our research. Uh, and it's not easy. Like, it's not easy to try and monetize that in a world where everyone is expected to give everything away for free. But I think your prices are so fair, Lani. And I would say to listeners, please go support her and her business because it is actually what you do full time now, Lani, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a stay at home mom and I homeschool. Um, that's full time and make food for our own house. But my my hobby, which I hope to turn into a business as I have more time, is preserving today. And I should say, I don't think I even mentioned this once, is I have a new website as well, preservingtoday.com. So it's it's maybe like a blog setup so I can have a longer form written content with photos so that when I have a YouTube video where I go into detail with something, it can link to that and I can explain it in even more detail. So you can also check out my blog, preservingtoday.com. And that's where you can sign up for my mailing list for getting updates and things like that. I'll put the links in the description for listeners to go to. In part two, I really want to talk about sourdough and also a little bit more about the um, health side of things. And I wanted to find out if there's any common health complaints that you know have been fixed with fermented foods, because I've had a lot online, but you you never know, like you don't know if someone's just saying it or not. So I want to find out your experiences on that one. So thank you so much for joining us again, Lani. It's been a, a pleasure speaking to you and I look forward to part two. Thank you. Right, we're going to leave it there for part one, everyone, but we've actually got so much more to get into in part two. In part two, we discuss survival, how preserving our food using fermentation can help us survive really hard times like the Great Depression, and I think these skills are much needed and may actually save our bacon, so to speak, once the times get really tough. We also discuss botulism, and if there is any reason to be afraid of this when we ferment our food, we talk about mental health and how our gut bacteria is absolutely intrinsic for ensuring that we have good mental health. We talk also about sourdough, and I get Lani's take on how we can make the best sourdoughs, how Lani makes her sourdough, and also what she does to ensure it lasts for a long time. We talk about food cycles and much, much more. So really excited to get into this one, members. Please head over to parallelmike.com. In closing, I hope you're all well, healthy, and reasonably happy. And like always, I'll see each and every one of you in the next one. Have a good one. God bless, and I'll see you in the next one. What you are basically.
deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Not really peace in our time, peace in all time. 